For thousands of years, human beings have wondered about entering the afterlife. Do we climb a golden staircase or walk towards a light? Is it a vast, expansive paradise or just an endless, meaningless void? Turns out it's none of those things. It's just me, waiting with my clipboard, ready to collect three questions for God. This is God Only Knows, a brand new podcast that kills its guests before they even get to say a word. Only to meet them as they step out of the eternal elevator and submit their three questions to God, whoever or whatever he, she or it may be to them. Joining me today out of the eternal elevator, it's Ellie Flynn. Hello, Ellie. Hello, Matt. Now, before you can submit your questions to God, we need to fill out a bit of a profile. Um, So I need a few details. Can I have your full name, please? My name's Ellie Rose Flynn. And your occupation? I am an investigative journalist. And any notable achievements? Um, I have made some programmes for BBC Three. I think that's an achievement. That is a big achievement. Yeah, very big achievement. We'll talk about those in a bit. Um, How are you feeling? I'm feeling nervous. I mean, I want to know how I've died. I can't remember it. Oh, that, that, we get to that. Don't okay, worry. It's always right. spectacular. And Great. Yeah, yeah. And also unnerving. Okay. Which, yeah, was also my Tinder review. Um, so, <laughs> are you, that won't go in. <laughs> um, do you think much about death? Um, yeah, I think so. I'd say a healthy amount. I'm not obsessed. And, and when it comes to like thinking about God, when you were like imagining where you were going, who is that? How do you imagine God to be? A fabulously dressed woman. Interesting. In the style of who? Oh, um, I'd actually say in the style of Ab Fab, maybe it's a big leopard print coat, huge hoops, wild hair. Nice. Mm. Oh, I love that. Amazing. Now we have to figure out what brought you here. Uh, it is a morbid thought, but we need to know how you died. So can I ask you to hit the space bar okay. and spin the wheel of death for me? Okay, so you can see we've got a lot of Ooh. things on there. You could have been stung or eaten. <laughs> you could have fallen off. I've seen Piers Morgan could be behind yeah, it. Yeah, he, he could be behind it. Uh, so you have got hit by a bowling ball live on BBC Two. How do you feel? But I'm happy that I was on BBC Two. <laughs> quite highbrow right it is that is, i mean i mean what i like about it is that bo- they've, they've got a bowling show on bbc too which let's be honest that's only a, you know six months away right yeah exactly yeah. i think it's already in development celebrity come bowling yes um <laughs> bowling on bbc two doesn't sound like the sort of show you make because you've, you've made a whole raft of films for bbc three tell us about some of those tell us what you've made um so i've made um some documentaries for bbc three all investigative <laughs> um a couple undercover uh, so the first two I made were, one was on rent for sex, which is when a landlord will offer free accommodation to someone in exchange for sex. Uh, then I did an investigation into illegal Botox. Mm. Um, more recently, I've done programs on Ireland's abortion referendum and on fake homelessness and mm. whether that's actually a thing. I've watched um, all of them. Um, ah. In fact, I watched them before I knew you were coming on this. And I, I remember in particular the um, rent for sex one, because I remember that just seemed to hit the headlines in a really big way. It was like your your films seem to like cause this big question because I think what your films do is make people go that really happens yeah um do, were you surprised at the reaction to that one in particular yeah I was um especially because it was my first um my first documentary and mm. I'd fallen into it a bit by chance really more than anything like the skills when it comes to making a program and producing a tv mm. documentary are similar to the skills that I use as a journalist mm. um but the idea of, I mean, I don't know what I was doing on this BBC bowling show. Starring. Starring. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know how I'm going to end up there, but uh, <laughs> it, feels, it feels like a leap for sure. Good. So, so we may not see you as the host of Celebrity Come Bowling on BBC Two anytime soon. You've got other things to do so. first. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So let's get started with your first question, which is... What was the criteria for getting into heaven? Oh, okay. Do you think much about the afterlife? Um, sometimes. Okay. So I've actually recently just got back from the US where I spent a lot of time with people from the LDS church, Mormon church. Okay. And I kept having these sort of existential panics where these people were living very wholesome, like very Bible-abiding lives. And I was like, oh, am, I, am I just wasting my time on earth here? <laughs> Do I need to convert? Uh, maybe they were just actually very good missionaries. Um, and they made me really think about joining the church. But I, I think... Yeah, I wonder about it every now and then. I mean, I am an atheist, um, I'd say. Maybe agnostic after a bit of time in Utah. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a worry, isn't it? Because it's like, I'm convinced here that, that there, is, there isn't anything afterwards. But I'm just going to really regret that if I get to heaven and God's like, look, well, probably hell. And they're like, look, you didn't, you didn't do anything we told you to. <laughs> And and that then leads you to ask the question about criteria. Cause... Yeah, so, so, I mean, I haven't followed the Bible religiously. Mm. Um, I don't go to church. I'd say I'm not necessarily a believer. Mm. So how have I ended up in heaven? Okay. And if there is a criteria then, what do you think it is? Well, I think it must just be, maybe God's just modernised and realised, okay, so not, not everyone's going to follow the Bible religiously. But if you're essentially a good person and you do good things, then... You can come in. So I'm hoping that's why I'm here. Tell me a bit more about um, what a good person doing good things looks like. Um, I feel like I'm going to give really basic answers No, here. that's what basic answers are the best <laughs> answers. They're the best ones. They're the ones I like the most. The other ones we have to cut and edit and all that. The basic ones always stay in. They're okay. Great. It's, just, well, it's just being kind, um, mm. thinking about other people. Mm. Um, I mean, my line of work, I'm, I've, I try to expose wrongdoings um, in society, in the UK and elsewhere. Um, and I hope that bringing a light on some of the topics that I've covered is a good thing and I think, makes me I, a good person. I think people would say it's a good thing. I think if you've watched, I think the, you know, uh, we talked already about Rent for Sex, but actually Fake Homelessness I thought was a fascinating film in terms of how quickly it takes one kind of zeitgeisty idea, like, hey, did you know everyone who's begging on the street is fake can suddenly just step into people's consciousness? And you, I thought you did a beautiful job of sort of unmasking that in terms of going homelessness isn't one thing yeah thank it's you. not one thing and how would heaven look by the way you've already told me who god is how does heaven look um there's loads of dancing oh loads of abba oh yeah um yeah, and yeah sort of i imagine it quite like glittery lots of leopard print yeah um it sounds like most people's idea of hell, I realise, as I describe it. <laughs> I think most people's idea of heaven tends to be someone else's idea of hell anyway. That's yeah. the beauty of it. That's, that's what's amazing. Um, so uh, your fabulous leopard print female um, God comes to you and says, okay, I want to I wanna rejig the criteria. What would be your criteria for letting people in? Have you seen The Good Place? Yeah. Okay, so when they first arrive in The Good Place and there's this... Um, system where you, it balances everything good you do in your life mm -hmm. you get a few points for and everything bad you do you lose some points mm -hmm. for I think that the idea is that you get points for everything good you do and you lose points for everything bad you do and um, what your balance sheet looks like um, when you die determines whether you get into heaven or not and I think that's a fair way of doing it okay so what about those people that are doing bad things with misguided intentions where do they stack up I suppose it depends how bad the things are mm. they're doing. I think if it has a really negative impact on other people's mm. lives, then they're probably not making it in. 
All right, that seems fair. <laughs> it sounds so judgmental. I'm like, yeah, you're all going to hell. <laughs> it's always it's always good when someone who really defines himself as an atheist from the start then becomes the most fundamentalist god they can be. It's like, and I have a very clear system, and they will not be here. <laughs> Your second question. Yes, is who was behind my catfish accounts? Oh, I think I need to explain this. this. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to know more. <laughs> so um, for about eight years, um, from the point at which I was 15, maybe, my friends and I had a, a whole web of fake accounts made of our photos and there must have been about a hundred fake accounts, I reckon, wow. um, all centered around one of my very good friends. Um, and they would befriend groups of people in like Hull and they would start up relationships. Um, and we were always aware of them and we'd block them and we'd, every now and then we'd get a message saying, Do you know, this fake account exists. And we tried, we tried to get rid of them and, and they would just reappear. If we blocked them one day, they'd reappear the next. And we ended up sort of calling in a community police officer at school at one point who just said you shouldn't be online um, <laughs> we were like cool <laughs> and we wonder why the generation ended up in such a mess with our social right? media presence <laughs> don't touch it just, just don't leave it anywhere near it burn Facebook. the computer yes um, that was actually the advice that we were given um, and so it went on for so so long and I think it was uh, one of my friends I think it was centred around her I think there was a fake account that was made of her mm. to try and start relationships with mm. people and obviously everyone can spot a fake pro facebook mm. profile so because they've got no mates they've got no one yeah. interacting so i think they made you know, maybe 10 profiles around my friend to make hers look real i think it just grew and grew wow. and grew and grew my sister had one everyone's boyfriend had one wow. it was this mad web um that were active yeah for about eight years so when did the start how old were you when this started 14, 15, maybe. Oh, gosh, that's frightening. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think year nine. Which, wow. Yeah, we were so young. Um, and it was all so new. Like, and it was, now, yeah. like Facebook, we're, we're so savvy. Well, not, we're not savvy, but we're so aware of how it works. Whereas when people came out, it really was like black and white television, wasn't yeah. it? It was like that thing of suddenly we had this thing and we didn't know what to do with it. And the police's advice was, don't do it. And everyone was kind of talking, you know, this is the end of the world. But we sort of had to traverse it and... That's awful. Yeah, yeah, it's mad. I mean, I, um, I think these accounts have had more social media presence than I have. Mm. There's, they had Bebo, MySpace, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I actually did, ran a search on one of the fake name ones, yeah. and it came up wow. with an address which I haven't yet been to, but I'm tempted to. <laughs> this is the next um, film, isn't it? The next film is just, you'll be going to like, you'll be going to the BBC going, now I know this feels a bit niche, but I really need to know. I've got to. Well, actually, that was how I ended up doing TV. No. Yeah. Really? So I'd written this article for Vice about this experience. Yeah. And then um, an, exec, an exec from Popcorn, which is who made Ellie Undercover, got in touch with me, mm. asked if I wanted to be a contributor on a show about catfishing. I didn't really want to. Um, and then they came back about a year later and said, well, would you be interested in investigating as the, a journalist? Go back one more step. So so they come to you and say, do you want to be on television? No, it's, uh, so I work a bit in TV, as you know. Um, when you meet people who are on television, one thing they tend to have in common is they've always wanted to be on television. But you said no. Yeah, I didn't want to be on, <laughs> I didn't want to be on television at all, really. Um, I don't know. I just didn't. 
it was I, I genuinely never thought about the prospect of having oh, wow. a career on telly and um I, yeah I didn't really want to be a contributor I mean mm. also this story wasn't my story it was all of my friends yeah and no one expected the Vice article to get quite as much traffic as it did yeah. and I think it made a few of my friends feel a bit nervous this was it, yeah. you know all their photos were everywhere yeah. it was a very personal thing so I didn't really want to go and talk about this awful thing that had happened to me that hadn't really happened to me yeah yeah, yeah. um so for lots of reasons I yeah I wasn't that interested in it in Ellie Undercover, you go properly undercover. So there's wigs, there's there there's, a, there's a whole. So there's something interesting about being catfished. When in some ways your job is to is yeah. to fool people. Do, how do you? I guess for you there's a kind of an outcome thing there. But how do you kind of in your own head go? I know I'm purposefully misleading someone. How does that work for you? I mean, you have to have so much evidence already before you're even allowed to um, go undercover. Mm. So. And and it is it is definitely there's definitely times when I'm investigating something and, and we're sending in our um, application to the lawyers mm. to see if we can go undercover. Mm. And I'm like, have I just completely barked up the wrong tree here? Is there no story? Is are there is there no wrongdoing? Um, but there always is if mm. if they're gonna grant you, um, if they're gonna let you do it. You usually know quite a bit mm. before you end up going undercover so that does take the pressure off it's not like I'm just whacking on a secret camera and a wig and <laughs> knocking on some random guy's door to have a bit of a have a bit of a fish yeah and and when you did like so um sex around was the first one yes. you did and it's absolutely clear that the people you're meeting are doing wrong but are you conflicted is there a, is there a conflicted moment when you go and you meet someone who you know you're going to put on television and they're doing this thing which is which is clearly absolutely wrong and also illegal mm-hmm. in those cases what, how does it feel to know that you're going to be the person to bring that person into the light? Not not the issue necessarily, but the human being in front of you. Yes. Um, that is something that you, that I definitely think about. And, I mean, Sex for Rent, for example, um, we didn't show any of the landlord's faces. Yeah. And that was a decision that was made um, by the team mm. because we didn't think... And, you know, you have these conversations and, and you think about whether it's justified or mm. not. Um, and we decided not to. And but usually if you're gonna if you're gonna put someone's face undercover on the TV, there's such a level of wrongdoing mm. um, and usually it's illegal mm. that it feels justified. Mm. Uh, but these are these are things that you're constantly weighing up mm. and, and it is it is a big responsibility. Um, so that's why you have to know that you're right and you mm. have to know that you're making the right decision. And one of the arguments that people kind of make about this rent for sex thing is, Oh, but they might be lonely, or they might be sad, and is it not? Is it not? You know, if, is it not win-win for everyone? And like that, I have a huge problem with because, yeah, first too. of all, it's not win-win mm. as you'll see from the mm. people that were forced into it mm. um, because they had nowhere else to go that I meet in the program. But also, it's this idea that a man can't be alone. A man's like entitled yeah. to sex yeah. in some way um, that I find really frustrating. Well, it's the whole kind of like we we infantilized don't we it's like oh that we we want to make men little boys so language is really important in that so you're right this idea that somehow oh they're just oh they're just men who can't you know who just want someone around for some company it isn't that it's you see in the film it's it's quite grim I mean and it's also illegal it's it's really exploitative yeah but you're right I think that must be interesting when people respond to your film so you must you must see some of that in terms of that is it a is it a mix do you get the do you get that kind of trolling end of the spectrum, people kind of coming at you? 
Yeah, um, I do. I my boyfriend's recently been like, you cannot continue to do this job if you look at every Twitter post right. that someone yeah. sends to yeah. you. And I'll be there on my phone like, oh, they've been so mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's yeah, you, yeah, I do get both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, rent for sex, I think, was less so. Largely, everyone agreed that this was yeah. awful. I did get the odd comment like, oh, well, you know, they're both going into it. So they're both adults. It's, yeah. it's not that big a deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they were very rare. Okay. Um, fake homeless was a lot more... Um, I think people had a lot more mixed opinions on. Really? Yeah. And I guess the abortion referendum, because that's a topic that splits the pack in the most incredible way anyway it's a really interesting one that you get people from all sorts of different backgrounds appearing on all sorts of sides of the debate which i found really fascinating did that cause a stir yeah but we did really try to be um impartial Mm. in our reporting on that program um and i and to be fair i mean i going into it you know i grew up in england Mm. um abortions sort of it's not something I've, i've ever had to really think about too much but it was, I would have definitely been pro-choice mm. because that's kind of all I know. Yeah, yeah. And I genuinely did empathise and understand the points of view of the people I was meeting who were on the pro-life mm. side. Um, so it taught me a lot and it taught mm. me a lot in not just having one opinion and thinking that I'm right yeah, and that yeah. anyone that doesn't have that opinion um, is mad. So I've learned, I've, yeah, it taught me a lot making that film. Mm. Um, but, but there's something interesting about the job you do and going undercover and being that and so you're catfish so that went on yes. for eight or nine years you, you never found out who it was no and i've oh, i've tried i've tried and i sort of every now and then i'll become absolutely obsessed with it again okay um and so that i've got like an, a number of clues that could lead me to who it is so i've actually spoken to the person via one of the fake accounts as in like chat as in like chat. text chat yeah, yeah yeah and we actually set up a call recently um she's now in asia um but she didn't answer my call when it came around to it i've now not been able to get hold of her again tremendous bad luck though right to choose the catfish bbc's investigative reporter (laughs) like of all the people right right? don't break into the mma fighter's house and don't catfish you that's like the worst person to pick what a nightmare Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. On to your final question. What, yes. what have you put in as your last one? It's a very important one. Yes, please. 
why did you not help us win the World Cup last year? <laughs> now, now, you can obviously hear that when you say we, there's no we at this table. No, there right? is yeah, no I mean, we, yeah. I mean, they didn't help me win the World Cup no. at all. We weren't even there. We were just no. sitting at home sunning ourselves on the one day of sun in Belfast. Um, so, But me. you mean England. <laughs> yes. Why didn't we help you win the World Cup? It's all about you. It's all about <laughs> me. No, why didn't you help England? It was such a good summer. It was, um, wasn't it? Oh, it was so good. Everything was hot. Yeah. Everyone was at the pub at midday. Yeah. Um, what What was it about last summer? It seemed, you're right, the, the weather helped. England do well, but they also, it wasn't just them doing well. There was something else going on with that team and with Southgate and all of that. Yeah. And it just felt like everything kind of clicked last summer. What, what was it? I don't know. I think it was, I think, on, I guess on the surface, it was just that England have been so terrible at football mm. for so long. Mm. Um, and then we had Southgate as a manager and he had waistcoats and everyone loved them. He did have waistcoats. (laughs) And and I think actually it was just hope for the first time ever. Mm. I mean, I remember someone saying that when they first went out, when the World Cup first started, you didn't see anyone with an England flag. Mm. And then suddenly this whole street had Mm. England flags in cars, Mm. England flags on windows, everyone was in the pubs, Mm. everyone was making friends. It was just, and, and at time of such sort of political disparity mm. everyone sort of came together I don't know it was just quite nice and that's interesting you're right because the because I guess the last two years have been one of real disunity like politically mm. socially so it was almost like something brought people together yeah for God to intervene in something like last summer because I think it's interesting isn't it I I wonder what would have changed if we if if we'd if England had won the World Cup you you sort of I guess the suggestion is that the trajectory would have carried on up and then it would have been hyper and high and you think it would have been a good thing for the for the country? Yeah, and I suppose maybe it actually would have been worse because we'd have just come crashing down um, a few months later. But I don't... It was just... I've, I was just so excited mm. um, and I was actually at Hyde Park for that... Um, for the Croatia game. Oh, really? did the big screen. Yeah, and we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got the... We applied for the tickets and it was just so disappointing and everyone kind of trudged out of Hyde Park and got on the tube in what felt like complete silence. I don't know what would have changed long term, really. But I don't know. I think it's very rare that happens because if you because I, I often think about collective experiences and and I think about the spirituality of them, like going to a gig, mm-hmm. like you arrive with expectation, the thing happens and you leave on a high. You had the opposite experience, which isn't that common, which is you went to Hyde Park with this collective optimism and hope mm-hmm. and then gradually that goes and then you leave on a low what's that like it's really it, it feels like your heart sinks it was and mm. it's so that sounds so dramatic so talking about a game of football yeah, 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 but, but it was and it's exactly that everyone came in such high hopes and everyone was singing and mm. we had the gareth southgate song mm. and everyone was in such high spirits and then Trippier um scored mm. the free kick and it just looked like it was all going, mm. everything mm. was going up from there. Mm. And suddenly it just all went wrong. Mm. And I can only describe it as this sort of thousands of people walking in silence. People were crying. Really? Yeah, it was a really, really weird atmosphere. The notion of God intervening in something like that is a fascinating one to me. Because if God lets you, why, why not let us win, right? Which is a big question in all of these things. What else would you want God to intervene in? If God could help oh, you win so the match, what else should God do? So many things. Um, I don't. I mean, like to be fair, this is this is a kind of bigger philosophical question, I suppose. But all the things that go wrong, you know, mm. why? Why are there? All, and why am I making documentaries if there's a god? Mm. Um, why does rent for sex exist? Why mm. does homelessness exist? Um, 
why you know i'm making a program at the moment on child marriage why was that allowed Mm. um and yeah so i I, there's loads of things that i think that she should she should intervene in if she can when you so you've seen all sorts of stuff can you recall a time when you what what's the worst when have you seen that you think is the worst of of everything have you have you experienced that um really hard to say if there's a worst I've seen some you know some really sad things I think I'm working on two programs in America at the moment one is on sexual assault and one's on child marriage Mm. um and the story the people that I've met working on that is is so sad and Mm. um yeah it does it really you sort of come back from some of those interviews and you're sort of set with this like heavy feeling Mm. and it really sticks with you and you can't stop thinking about it and it feels so unjust mm. um that that these things happen mm. um so yeah yeah i guess there's not one particular mm. story that i can think of but mm. there's there's lots sadly so aside from garrison gets waistcoats what gives you hope oh what gives me hope um, <laughs> um i suppose I don't know I'm trying to think what gives me hope that's a really it's a really difficult question I feel like it's so simple but um, <laughs> I suddenly feel like it's weird me being on the other end of this well I was going to ask you that as well is that in that because obviously so you've only been doing this stuff for a, about a year mm-hmm. something like that and so I and, I've, and you've done interviews you've done stuff like that but also I've seen you also write a lot of stuff yourself so you get to control that mm-hmm. being interviewed is different isn't it it is how is it I don't like it do you not <laughs> Oh, I'm really sorry. No, no, Oh, no, no. your agent's going to kill me. <laughs> They're going to be like, she won't do anything. She got offered Norton. She was like, no, I'm not being asked a question by an Irish fella again. It was a disaster. You'll ask me what brings me hope. I think because normally I'm answering questions about the documentary mm. and about what I've learned. Mm. And actually having to think about me and my philosophy and what I think mm. about God and the world, um, it makes you a lot more vulnerable. And I suddenly have a lot more sympathy for the people that I'm um, asking questions of, I think. They actually sent me. They, uh, they, <laughs> said, they said, could you just go and help her with it? Um, but actually, there is this sense, I guess, of a collective sense of we want to make things better. Do you yeah. see yourself, is that where you see yourself and what you do in your work? I think so, yeah. Mm. And I think that's what BBC Three is really good at, mm. um, is it's made by a young audience for a young audience. Yeah. And I think that they genuinely have a sort of social conscience and it genuinely wants to highlight issues that are important to people like me and people Mm. like my friends Mm. um and lots of young people all over the world and I think that that I mean that's why BBC3 is doing so well I think Mm. at the moment because there's a real appetite for it and Mm. I think it is important Now, I've got some great news for you, okay. which is that um, it might not have been as bad news as we thought when you first got hit by the ball. So we're actually going to be able to return you. But before you do, I have another question. Okay. Just the last one. Okay. What do you think God would ask you? I think she might ask if I'd learned anything from my almost death. I'm going back, oh, aren't I? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I have. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, that's good. You're not going to say sack the Irish fella. <laughs> no, I haven't actually. Can I stay here? <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually it's made me think a lot more about um, philosophy and why I think things. Mm. I almost feel like I've been in therapy for the past hour or so. The bill is in the post. Great, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, um, yeah. So you think so? For you, it's about learning. Yeah. What you do 
that must you you can't come away unchanged from those films can you no you can't it makes me i've learned so much this past year has been a complete um whirlwind really of um emotions and learning and i think that if you don't learn from making programs like this then you're doing it wrong because Mm. i don't know everything um and i'm there to learn about people's lives and learn about Mm. these issues um and when i go into it i don't know that much often so i think that that's yeah i think that's what that's really important that's something that i really want to try and do with every program i make um is to continue to learn and not think that i know it all going in thank you very much for being on the podcast um the good news is it was a prop bowling ball okay so you're fine so you 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 got up okay right back on the auto queue hosting the show like a pro right okay, celebrity come bowling bbc2 who are my guests on celebrity come bowling yeah i'm not gonna lie it wasn't a great line <laughs> <laughs> The barrel. It wasn't. I'm not going to name names because I might need them as guests. But it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if I'm the host, it was. Not a, much it, hope. it wasn't a great lineup. Um, but Ellie, listen, thank you very, very much. Where can people find you? What, what? So your stuff is online still. You're going to have stuff coming out. What? Where can people see what you do and read what you do? Yeah, on BBC Three. Um, I've got three new programs coming out soon. Um, and there's a few more that should still be on there mm. by the time that this goes out. And yeah. Thank you. Um, listen, thank you very much. I'll be back next time to kill off another guest and find out what they want to know on God Only Knows. Thank you.